0: You're listening to Women Making Waves on
1: Cambridge 105 Radio.
0: This is the true story of Dr. Hrena Halabi growing up in the mountains of Lebanon. Dr. Halabi talks to Susie Thorpe about her childhood, her work and her gender advocacy that helps make science accessible and women in STEM more visible.
1: My role models are the ordinary people I meet every day who are moving the needles in their industries against all odds, against all circumstances. My role model is the the mother astrophysicist who is juggling family responsibilities with a brilliant, brilliant career. Um, These are my role models, Mm. people who have sometimes the, the odds stacked against them, and yet they emerge as winners in their fields.
0: In the studio today, I have Dr. Rena Halabi, and uh, I must say, there are very various hats that Dr. Rena Halabi has on, including a space scientist. A storyteller, a mentor, gender equality advocate as well, working at the University of Cambridge. Now you have a PhD in astrophysics, master's in physics and a bachelor's science degree in physics and mathematics. Now these are all at the American University of Beirut and the Lebanese University. Good afternoon.
1: Hello, Lovely to have Susan. you here, Reiner. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Just
0: tell us a little bit about the work that you do.
1: At the moment, I work at the Cambridge Judge Business School as a program director of Enterprise Women. Uh, This is an entrepreneurship program designed for women who have started businesses and they're looking to scale up these businesses. And what the program does is to really help them grow into their roles as CEOs, as leaders of their business. Um, So that's what I do at the moment, plus some of the other things that you've already mentioned. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) I want to go back to you are a space scientist. You're an astrophysicist as well. How did that all begin? Why did you want to become a space scientist?
1: Actually, when I was growing up, I never thought I'd become a a space scientist or an astrophysicist. As a kid, I've always been interested in any toy I got. I was always interested in the electronics of it. Uh, I was curious to to, to know how things worked. But at some point when I was in school, I wasn't doing well in physics. It It was a bit frustrating for me because I used to see myself as a very serious student and I was very keen on getting good grades, but there was something about physics that just did not work for me. Now, in hindsight, I know that there was a miscommunication between me and the teacher back then. He had a background in chemistry. It seemed to me he wasn't very passionate about physics. And so I wanted to dig deeper. I wanted to ask more questions. But I didn't find that curiosity nourished in his class. And so I sort of drifted away from it. And then I changed schools. That was grade 9 or 10, so almost close to graduating. When I changed schools, the physics teacher there was really, really good, and she realized that there was a problem. She realized that I was good in most of the other science courses, but there was some issue with physics, and she sort of decided to adopt me academically and She started helping me and I started working harder and harder and we could both see my grades starting to hike, which was incredible. So to me, Susie, this felt like a big challenge that I could overcome. It was exciting and I thought, hang on a minute, physics is really difficult and I could feel that because I was was struggling with it. But now I could overcome this, I could get better at it. And so, this is what I want to do for a major. I didn't want to pick something for a major that, you know, I felt there would be a crowd doing. So, I thought, no, I'm going to pick the most challenging thing I find and I will study that. And I went into it with such conviction that I wanted to do it and I want to get it right. And so I did. And I was also uh, during my teenage years. I was very interested in. I don't know why this interest sort of faded. I was interested in planes, and I wanted to be a pilot in the in the air force, but I did not have any role model. I did not know how to go about and do that. So I thought, well, physics would do for now. So that's how I started with with, with a physics degree.
0: Do you think it was because you had a woman teacher that inspired you? It seems to me that your previous teacher was male. Did he not think that you as a woman were up to this?
1: You're incredible, Susie. Actually, I've never thought of this. I've never thought that maybe because she was a woman, she inspired me that I could actually become a physicist. You're very right. I was very lucky to grow up in a family where I... My parents never thought there's anything I couldn't do because I was a girl. I make a joke, except dating. They weren't (laughs) OK.
0: That still runs in every family, I'm afraid to say.
1: So physics seemed like a natural thing for me to choose. But having that teacher as a woman teacher must have made a difference.
0: Okay, so you've met your new teacher who's absolutely inspiring. Not only that, you have a very determined nature Mm and attitude to where you want to go. And you've even said you wanted to really be challenged. Now, yes. at teenage years, that's a very unique thing to be, mm. I think, mm. wanting to do. Mm. So you were in Lebanon, mm-hmm. in Beirut. How did you get to being in school to moving on to getting all these amazing PhDs and Masters and Bachelor of Science? How did that sort of take hold?
1: So I was born and raised in, in a village in one of the Lebanese mountains. And there was no facility that could offer me this education anywhere near. And so to be able to get a degree in physics, I had to go and live in Beirut. At the beginning, it was a bit difficult to live in Beirut, so I was commuting, and the, the journey was really difficult. So I would get on a bus. It took about two hours to get to the campus. And the campus was, at the Lebanese University, was being rebuilt. And so there were lots of changes. And it could sometimes it looked very messy. And I used to tiptoe around the rubble, literally. It was soil everywhere because it was being built. At the Lebanese University, because it's a state university, you get really large number of students coming in. And so we were about 200 people in that classroom or hall, whole, big hall, whole, get, getting all these lectures. So it wasn't easy at all. The system at the Lebanese University is very tough. It's inherited from uh, the French colonial times. So it was a struggle. But then I got my, my degree and I thought, there must be something more to this than just get a degree in undergrad and start teaching. Because generally speaking, this would have been my only option to go and teach in a school. And then I realized that I could do a master's degree. And there was this great university, which is the American University of Beirut, uh, offering this master's degree. And I was lucky enough to get a scholarship, because otherwise it would have been prohibitively expensive. I got in. I was accepted. I was very thrilled. I was incredibly excited when I finished my master's degree, and that was in in physics. And I've done, actually, at that point still, I haven't. I wasn't even thinking I would do astronomy or astrophysics, but I met a professor there, Dr. Munib Belaid, and he told me about the research he does, and was fascinated. You know, you talk about stars and the universe and where the elements came from. And all of these things. I was fascinated. And I did a project with him in astrophysics. And then I got my master's degree. And I got a job offer to become a teacher, quite a senior uh, uh, role in the Gulf area. And then I was in a dilemma. Do I do a PhD or do I go and start becoming a teacher and start earning some money? You know, because at that point, it was just the students did. And uh, my father, he's no longer with us. But he saw me swaying like a pendulum between the two options. And he said, you can always choose to become a teacher, but it's not always that you can get a PhD. So this decided it for me.
0: Talking about your family there, you obviously got a lot of support from your family on what you want to do. And there was no stereotypical moment in your family that you had a certain position as a woman. You have a brother, do you, as I well? Do. Yes. So they supported you both equally.
1: Well, it hasn't been as easy as that because bias is so ingrained in us. And throughout the conversation, we will talk about this
0: mm. as well. Okay. So you've got your PhD, you've got your Masters in Physics and your Bachelor of Science, and you then came over to the UK. And That's you right. came straight to Cambridge?
1: Straight to Cambridge, from Beirut, straight to Cambridge. And
0: how did that come about? That that seems a very big jump, isn't it? It's it a is. big role. It is. How did you find the big jump and the culture? <laughs> and it's quite different.
1: I've never given this much thought, but I've always felt that I'm a very adaptive person. I appreciate the challenge. So... I get bored easily and I always (laughs) want to explore new places, new spaces, whatever that is, new people. And I love people. I genuinely like interacting with people. And this has a story from my background and from the way I was raised. And you know, Susie, throughout our conversation, I want to highlight something. When I told you about how I was struggling with physics back at school, I hope this sends a message to parents and students likewise that sometimes the going gets tough. Sometimes things are not easy, but it's never a reason to give up.
0: I agree, absolutely. Um, You mentioned the word story. Now, that's really, really important to you, isn't it? Because there is this fantastic platform for being a scientist, an engineer, but it's conveying your messages to us, the public, other fellow scientists as well, and engineers. And you have a blog, Mm -hmm. and you talk about Telling a story to convey what scientists do, what they have discovered. Now, that's very important. Do you think that needs to progress or do you think we are getting there with that?
1: No, we're certainly (laughs) not there yet. And we have things are changing. Things are getting better. But we have a long way to go.
0: You wanted to be a physicist, yes. and yet you have uh, an, an, another side to you, an yeah. art side to you yeah. that obviously you rather enjoy. <laughs> and it probably mixes really well. Yes. Yeah. So what made you want to do a blog?
1: There's a story behind it. <laughs> There always Good. is, isn't there? Remember when you told me about my family, you said it seems a very supportive family, mm. and y- y- they saw that you could do anything you put your mind to, it, which is true, but also coming back to the bias and how deep it can be and how unconscious it could really be. The story is that I was attending a conference with the United Nations in the summer of 2018. And I was there to advise on how to encourage more girls and women into STEM and the space careers. And in the conference was a an exhibition, and one of the exhibitors was the German Space Agency, and they were giving away little cardboard uh, figures of an astronaut. You know, it's just a cardboard figure. You pop the astronaut figure out, and you assemble it into a little astronaut. So I took a couple of those with me, and it happened that I was visiting my family and friends in Lebanon right after that. So we were sitting on my parents' balcony, and I said, right, So we're going to play a game. There was about four or five of them. I will give you one each and we will assemble these little astronauts, which they did. I said, "Okay, great. Now we have a team of astronauts and we're going to go on a mission to Mars. Let's give these astronauts some names, shall we? And they've all picked male names for the astronauts. My
0: mom... I knew you were going to say that, actually. My
1: mom called her astronaut Jade, which is my brother's name. And Jade is is a chemist. They are proud of me. They love me so dearly and they support me. But this bias is so deep, they couldn't see me or my gender type as an astronaut, for example. Mm. You know?
0: Yes, you say it's that unconscious bias, isn't it, that that everyone has.
1: And it's so deep.
0: Yeah, very, very deep. And it will change Mm -hmm. as generations come through.
1: Right. So this was my calling. You said, why did you do this blog? Mm. I thought, what can I do to change this maybe to them the word astrophysicist is an empty word do they know what I work on do they know what my research is about we don't talk much about it and certainly if I give a talk it would be very technical I mean my family is scientific my brother is a chemist and my sister is a biologist so we've got the the holy trinity of sciences (laughs) is is uh, is is there but still technically they wouldn't know what I'm talking about so I thought I thought that's it I will start telling stories about what I do. And you know, these stories are very gripping, they're interesting, they hook the attention of the listener, of the reader. And this has always be, been my conviction. I don't want to shake a fist in the face of inequality and say, you are undermining us, we're not being promoted enough. Well, it's true, women are being overlooked in terms of promotion, prizes, awards, all of that. But what we need to do, in my very humble opinion, is that we need to claim this space as ours. We need to have the confidence to tell our stories. And this is why She Speaks Science was born.
0: Yes, let's talk about that. You are the founder of the She Speaks Science an award-winning mm-hmm. science storytelling platform. How did this come about?
1: So it started as a platform for me to, to write about my science in ways... Anybody can understand and relate to. So one very essential component is that we want to highlight the social relevance of the science. Why does it matter? So I started writing myself, and it's worthy to mention here that the vessel through which the stories are told is Shahrazad, the storyteller from A Thousand and One Nights. And then I thought, okay, I'm telling these stories, but I want other great women to tell their stories as well. So I start actively engaging them and seeking them out and asking them to contribute, and the community has grown. We have people contributing to the blog from the UK, from the US, from Chile, from Jordan, from Iran. Recently, we had a paper contributed by an Iraqi refugee. She fled the Iraq war, and now she's a rocket scientist in the United States. And it's 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 really growing. We have a story coming up in the next few months by an analog astronaut who is German, and... An analog astronaut is somebody who does experiments, missions which are mock ups of space missions but on uh, places here on Earth. They're doing amazing work. These women are doing really great work and they're really amazing role models. And coming back to the role model idea, if we are to inspire the next generation to engage in STEM, and we need this, our societies depend on it. We are a very technological uh, civilization. We need more people to engage in STEM. We need to provide role models people can relate to, Mm. not just American or Canadian. We also want the Nigerian, the Indian, all sorts of role models so that we can inspire the next generation.
0: We've been talking about the teacher who really transformed your whole Mm. outlook. Who have been your role models since getting all these qualifications and all this experience? Who, I'd like to think that we change our role models Mm. and we, we aspire to new different ideas, but who has been... Your role models?
1: To be honest with you, Susie, I've never had one person as a role model. My role models are the ordinary people I meet every day who are moving the needles in their industries against all odds. Against all circumstances. My role model is the the mother astrophysicist who is juggling family responsibilities with a brilliant, brilliant career. Um, these are my role models, mm. people who have sometimes the odds stacked against them, and yet they emerge as winners in their fields.
0: want to know the role of a space scientist. Space and stars are mm. a very, very interesting subject, but most of us don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Now, you're telling it through the stories, but could you tell us a little bit now about yes. the space scientist?
1: If you think about an astrophysicist, an astrophysicist can be uh, working on any number of things. It could be stars, it could be planets, it could be galaxies, it could be the material between them, uh, it could be cosmology. So, there are many different things a person could. Uh, Study in in the universe. My specialty is is stars. I study or have been studying how stars live and die. The interesting things about stars is that you've heard of this. We are made of stars. The elements that make up our bodies, our DNA, our calcium, our you know our teeth, our blood, they are made in stars in different sorts of environments. Maybe big stars, small stars, dying stars. You know all sorts. And there are many elements, many of these chemical elements in the universe. We don't know where they come from, what sort of environments create them. And sometimes if you're looking at a star with a telescope, analyzing its light, sometimes we notice things we do not expect. For example, we think this star is too young to have so little carbon. Just giving you as an example. Mm. Or this star is too old to still have this high amount of something else, magnesium, say. And this makes us revisit our theoretical understanding of how stars evolve and try to improve that theory. Because you know that you cannot replicate a star in a lab, right? It's, it's impossible. And also, when you look at a star, you can all, only see its its surface. But what is happening inside the star remains mostly inaccessible so we develop theoretical models and uh, which we feed into computers that would solve these complicated physics equations for us and they would produce what we call a model a model is a snapshot in time of a star of a certain uh, size of a certain properties and then this is how we study stars and this is how we make predictions of what a star would do, what our sun would do. So this is really my research, trying to understand the deep interiors of stars and how that affects what they do on the surface.
0: Looking back through your career so far, has it been a positive moment or an advantage being a woman?
1: It's funny because um, throughout my career, although I realised that other women have been disadvantaged, and I hear lots of stories about these uh, circumstances and these situations. And this is the importance of sharing these stories, really, so the world knows about them. I personally have never felt at a disadvantage being a woman or at an advantage, particular advantage being a woman in in this space. I've always been in a room as a person. I've spoken and made sure my voice is heard as a as a person I've been not you know spoken over sometimes but I never thought oh it's because I'm a woman this happened to me I thought some personality types are like that so I went on and did my own thing without really paying much attention to my own gender but then realizing Actually, just looking around and seeing the numbers, you realize there's a problem. And obviously, I read about the topic a lot. And I talked to a lot of women who have started to share their experiences. And I realized that something needs to be done. And I'm somebody who just needs to fix things. I I love fixing (laughs) things. I mean, as a young girl, I'd come to my father with a broken toy. Can you please fix this to me? I would say, and he'd say, oh, I think that should be thrown away. Really, it can't be fixed. And I'd leave, I'm thinking, I'll show you, it can be fixed. (laughs) And I'd come back having fixed it. I love fixing things and I love a good challenge. And because this system is broken, we need to fix it. And this is one way of doing it. And I hope it makes some difference.
0: I'd like to ask you, Rina, what do you always find time for? Now, you have an incredibly busy life and you love what you do. But is there something that really stands out, that when you walk away from the very important work part of your life, there is is there something that you always find time for?
1: I always find time to go jogging. Because I wear so many hats and I do <laughs> many different things... <laughs> I need to go jogging to just clear my mind out and untangle all the different things that might get tied up in knots in my brain. Unfortunately, I don't, don't always find time for myself to, for example, maybe see my friends more or visit my family more. But I try to take care of myself by just taking some time off to go on a walk or to, to go jogging or to do some yoga if that would be luxury sometimes. But I do try to do that.
0: And what about your family in Lebanon and Beirut? Do you, do you see them a lot?
1: They do visit sometimes, but much more rarely than I uh, than I do go. And I also try to go because I miss Lebanon as well. Yeah, just being there, eating all the Lebanese food, which is amazing. Yes, uh, you must miss yes, yes. the most amazing I miss, food. I miss it so much. Yeah. I miss it so much. My mum's food, of course. And uh, my husband, uh, he loves Lebanon. He's English, but he loves Lebanon and uh, he's always keen to go to Lebanon. Even sometimes he gets his ticket before I do. He's ma- he makes sure he goes there before I do. Yeah, Lebanon is a is a, is a lovely place. Because the news that spreads is usually the bad news. People in places like, you know, the UK and elsewhere, they only hear the bad things, but it's a beautiful place and Mm. it deserves a chance, and I hope these days are this chance.
0: And your future, future goals in life, I would say that you're thinking about science and not making it so far removed from everyday life. And you're obviously trying to support gender equality. Mm-hmm. But is there something that you're really focusing on besides all the hats that you have at the yes. moment?
1: Yes, uh, certainly. At the Cambridge Judge Business School, I'm working there directing enterprise women. And this is, it it takes a lot of my time these days, and this is something I'm very passionate about as well, because it also, what I do might seem very disconnected, but there is a golden thread that runs into all of them, and this is, is nurturing potential. With She Speaks Science, nurturing potential by highlighting these great women doing amazing research. With Enterprise Women is helping entrepreneurs with great ideas who are building fascinating things. Because you see the the gender bias that plays against scientists is also there playing against women in business. Particularly within, I mean, investment, for example, is a big thing. Investors are sometimes biased against women. Some people have realized the importance of supporting women women women-led businesses. And also we have sometimes lack of role models. We also need to highlight great women doing, having successful businesses so that the budding entrepreneurs can um, take heart and, and follow these, these steps.
0: Oh, Dr. Rena Halabi, it's been fantastic having you here today for Women Making Waves and I wish you all the best on your future projects. You're an incredible lady, very determined and also I think very kind as well.
1: Thank you, thank you Susie. It's been a pleasure being with you and I hope your listeners find this interesting.
0: They will. <laughs> that was Dr. Hrena Halabi talking to Susie Thorpe. I am a bit like that as well. I didn't really notice any sexism. And it was probably going on around me all the time, but I didn't notice it. And maybe if you choose to ignore it sometimes, mm. then you're not impacted by it. It's a bit like ignoring the obvious. You know, if you're really, really yeah. ignoring it, you're not impacted by it at all. And you don't feel bad about it because you don't notice there's anything to feel bad about. I, I think it's quite an interesting uh, it approach. Is. Yeah, it <laughs> is. And yeah, you're right. She didn't really... Uh, didn't really notice it but i think when you talk to other people other women and they give their experiences Mm. that's when you think crikey yes Yes. maybe that did happen to me but it didn't happen anyway i thought she was great she was you're listening to women making waves on cambridge 105 radio